2: Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. You know, the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes event is Thursday, September 19th. The initiative is designed to raise awareness about domestic and sexual violence against women and children. It also encourages men to walk a mile in women's red high-heeled shoes, and they do. This premier event is held each year, and it is attended by huge crowds of men, women, and children. As you can see, we had to have Sky Fox up. There were so many people there. Joining me now, Samantha Wayad, she is Director of Crisis Intervention at the YWCA, Susan Kidder, Chief Executive Officer of Safe Connections, Lindsay Fisher, she's a former Safe Connections client and author, and Carla Maylee, CordWatch Watch Project Coordinator. Thank you all so much for being here, I appreciate it. Let's start the conversation, Samantha, with the background story about the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes campaign and how it got started.
3: Absolutely, so Walk a Mile in Her Shoes is actually an international men's march to bring awareness to domestic and sexual assault that is affecting all of our communities. So it's really, again, bringing that awareness of the issue. Yes, you have some fun while doing this, but it really does bring to light the seriousness of domestic and sexual assault. And why is it important for men to be involved in this campaign? You know, first, you know, men also are, at times, victims of domestic and sexual assault. Um, it is primarily women, but men as well with this. And you have to have men involved in the movement. This takes all of us. This takes bringing us together as a community as it affects all of us so really to say you are a part of this you are a part of the solution to really show that support too that we have great men out there who are advocates and who are you know supporters.
2: Yeah, Susan give me a sense of what's happening in the St. Louis area statistically speaking about violence against women and children.
1: Right, well at, at uh, on a, a, a gl- uh, national level, mm-hmm. we know that one in four women are the survivors of domestic and sexual violence uh, and that can really be applied to the St. Louis community as well. And we also know that those numbers are underreported uh, because those who are survivors uh, are not always um, willing to come forward because they may fe- might fear of not being believed, uh they might be fearful about being blamed, uh ashamed, all those kinds of things that are are not necessary because we say all the time that if you are a survivor of domestic and sexual violence, it is never ever ever your fault. Uh and like you said, I mean it takes all of us to to, to uh to find the solutions to that. Uh those who identify female, male, and those uh who are who identify within the LGBTQ community as well. So we hear those
2: terms all the time domestic and sexual violence. Right. What exactly does domestic violence mean and sexual violence mean?
1: Well, Domestic violence is this intentional pattern and pattern is really the operative keyword here this intentional pattern of behavior that is designed to intimidate, to threaten, to coerce, and to control the partner. Uh, and then sexual violence is any kind of sexual activity that is um, performed, that is initiated, that is completed without Consent. Perfect. Carla, some of these cases end up in court. Tell me
2: about the support system that's in place for survivors.
0: So, uh, the courts definitely have several different supports that are set up, including orders of protection. And the mission of the, of the Court Watch project is to make the justice system more effective and responsive to domestic and sexual violence victims within the order of protection courts. And so, how effective
2: are orders of protection, because we hear that all the mm-hmm. time.
0: That's a tricky question, because as we all know, and we've heard many times, orders of protection are just a piece of paper. So it requires safety plans by advocates and, and by agencies such as Safe Connections and YWCA. Um, but I think using those systems is another layer of protection.
2: Yeah.
4: Lindsay give me a sense of your story you are a survivor I am and a former Safe Connections client Um, the short version of my story is that I was in an 18 month relationship with a man um, who obviously presented himself as one thing and then ended up being something completely different at the end of that relationship I lost my house my car and my job Um, and I was 27 years old trying to pick up pieces while also struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder and while trying to heal and figure all of that out, I started blogging. Um, my blog got a fairly popular, and a man reached out to me and said, did you know that nonprofits existed you know, to help with some of the things that you're talking about on your blog that you're struggling with? And I didn't know, because I never anticipated being a person that got involved in an abusive relationship. And so one Google search later, I found Safe Connections and then started treatment there. Tell me what happened in your personal
2: situation. What were you going through?
4: Um, he was, so there's a, there's a wheel of abuse, if you will, of all the different types of abuse, financial, spiritual, emotional, verbal, physical, and my abuser hit the nail on the head with all of those. And there wasn't one branch that didn't exist in our relationship. I was, at one point, I had a gun held to my head and he told me he loved me so much that he could kill me. Um, And at that point, it seemed safer to stay because I was afraid walking out the door meant the gun was gonna come back down. Um, The day that I left, he threw me down a flight of stairs and I realized that staying there wasn't any safer and so I needed to come up with a way to kind of get out of that. Um, It's really intricate and I could probably talk for hours about it just because there's so many dynamics at play there, but um, it was incredibly difficult in all regards and ultimately what I came out of it as as a broken person who didn't necessarily understand how to heal myself and didn't know that I was worthy of healing. And so when I started speaking about it anonymously on my blog, it was a way for me to get everything out of my head um, that some people didn't really understand because a lot of times people are well-meaning and they ask you questions, but they're really victim-blaming. And so it was very easy for me at that point to kind of assume that it was my fault. But then as I progressed and people started to reach out and say, you're not alone, I felt more empowered to make better, healthier choices for myself. Well, I am so glad
2: that you survived your situation and you are so wonderful to be here to share your story. Now, I also want our viewers to know that you are also an author. Tell me about your book
4: and why did you write it? So my book is um, The House on Sunset. It's a memoir about my experience, and it was part of my healing journey. I think it was very cathartic for me to tell my truth. Um, A lot of times we hide things as survivors because we don't know how people are going to react. And I also felt very responsible for kind of taking care of people and their reaction because they were uncomfortable. And so it became something where it was like, I didn't talk about it because it was too complicated and so by taking this step and putting it into book form what I was doing is releasing it from a part of myself that felt like I needed to keep it as a secret Um, that book was a huge part of my healing and something that I'm very proud of um, and has really impacted a lot of people at this point so it's it's a really cool piece of my story
2: that's awesome and we applaud you for sharing your story and writing your book so that it can help others
4: susan tell me about safe connections
2: and the resources that are available to help women and children who find themselves in difficult situations
1: oh sure thing uh... well safe connections uh... actually we were founded forty three years ago so we've been doing our work for a long time and we do three things we provide um... a regional twenty four hour helpline uh... who that is available for those who are in crisis and also for those who love someone know someone work with someone who they are concerned about and want to know how to safely appropriately help them. What do they do? What do they say? Uh, So our crisis line is available for for folks like that. Uh, We also provide therapy and support groups and a huge prevention education program for our elementary through college age students all around developing healthy relationships. Uh, and what is consent? What are healthy relationships? What is a respectful relationship? So we serve about 20,000 people a year through those three programs. Uh, and we also are inclusive of all genders and gender identities, gender expressions, and sexual orientations in terms of those we serve. I and all free of charge. Yeah. Oh, free of charge. Free of charge. That's no barriers. Awesome. That is yeah. a huge priority for us no barriers to, to access to service. Is there a waiting list? Unfortunately, yes. yes. Uh, we keep growing uh, and even with that, the, the needs always outpace the resources. Uh, so we continue to grow, the needs c- continue to grow. And actually, I think we might all agree that um, that the Me Too movement really has inspired a lot of folks st- you know, stepping up and finding Whatever that is, to reach out for assistance. So that has had a direct and positive impact on on us, not, not that we want a waiting list by any means, but we do want folks to feel like there is safe place uh, and safe space for them to get help.
3: Yeah, so Matthew, you're nodding your head. Tell me about resources available at the Y. So I' you know absolutely Susan, what you're talking about is that there is that need and we're basing it off of resources. so we're, The why um, provides that gap. We fill the gap in terms of we have a drop-in center, meaning that there's no appointment necessary. Anybody can come in Monday through Friday, 8:30 to 5, and say, "I want to talk with somebody now. I want to discuss my options. I'm not quite sure what's going on." Um, So it really helps them that way too. And with our, you know, we have a self-care group that we do to fill that when they are waiting for therapeutic services. We also recognize that social services are switching, and we're reducing barriers by being mobile. So we go out and we respond, We know, we're not waiting all the time for that person to come to us. It may not be safe for that to happen. So we partner with our local area hospitals, so we provide a domestic violence and a sexual assault response that way if an individual shows up and is identified. We will go out to hospitals. We partner with St. Louis City Police Department to go out if someone's choosing to go within that system as well as the courts, but they can't make it to us because it's not safe We have done, you know, we meet at libraries, we meet at coffee shops. We're really doing the same thing as Susan talked about, is reducing those barriers to say this shouldn't have happened, but we're going to, we're here to help you through this and what can we do to help you through the easiest way possible and be that support whatever way you need that. That's good to know. Carla, what does that support
2: system look like for the courts? Are there outreach programs such as the ones we just heard about? Oh, of
0: course there are. Uh, I wish there were more. Uh, but there are already some, there are already quite a few in place. Uh, There are advocates that are housed in the courthouses, there are advocates that um, are housed in police stations, and then there are other systems um, for offenders as well that are available uh, batters intervention programs. So there are definitely community resources that are within the courts. Mm
2: -hmm. Lindsay, give me a sense of what you got out of your resources by going through Safe Connections.
4: I say this all of the time when I when we talk, I talk about this, but I, you know the services that I received were life changing in the sense that they helped me understand the dynamics of a, abuse and take some of the burden and you know the blame off of myself and and realize that it wasn't actually anything that I did. Um, beyond that, it also gave me tools to move through kind of a, honestly any other trauma that would happen in my life and skills with self-care and just sort of coping mechanisms to move through things that a lot of people struggle with um, in healthy ways. And the perfect example that I can come up with is once I was actually married, um, my husband and I struggled to conceive. And so we ended up having to use fertility treatments, which is very traumatic for people. Um, And I noticed as I was going through IVF how much I was doing okay the the stress and the anxiety wasn't there I wasn't feeling like hopeless and I immediately thought this is exactly what those skills were for is to help me thrive through the rest of my life and it's something that I'm very thankful for um, for a million reasons It it changed my life completely I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back but I gotta take a break stay with this when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about
2: resources we'll talk about ways that we can all get involved to help return the tides on this important matter that we're talking about. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about sexual violence. and We're talking about resources. Stay with us back in a moment.
0: To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis.
2: Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. You know, the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes campaign is Thursday, September 19th. It's an awesome campaign, and it is designed to raise awareness about domestic and sexual violence violence against women and children you can see the information on your screen Thursday September 19th at the Missouri Athletic Club at 405 Washington Avenue the walk begins at 6 p.m. we hope to see you there I want to talk Samantha a little bit more about empowering women so that if they find themselves in a situation of domestic violence or sexual violence what can they do to protect themselves
3: and to get out of that situation. With that, it's really starting um, where she's at, where they're at with this. It's not saying, when you talk with any of the agencies, it's saying, we're gonna be here where you are and to understand and recognize you have options and you have hope. A lot of times it's, there are real barriers out there. What am I gonna do about childcare? I need my child to stay in this school district. How am I gonna afford rent? I haven't had a job because I wasn't allowed to have a job with this, so really it's talking with individuals through this and saying, I hear you, I hear those barriers, I hear we're at now, let's talk about what are some options that we have. I will never push an agenda with somebody and say, here's what you should or shouldn't do. It's really listening to them where they're at and saying, what do you wanna see happen? What do you wanna do? And how can I walk with you through this? Because a lot of the times is that, especially when working with women who have you know been surviving domestic violence, it's hard for those decision-making you know, skills that come up because they may not have been safe for me to have my opinion. And I have been so much focused on not having that voice, not and maybe knowing what resource things have been cut from me as a controlling mechanism. So it's helping to do that education, helping women to get their voices, and helping to say, you know what, you don't deserve this. You are worthy, and this is not OK. And so when we start giving those messages and start giving that consistency, then it's saying, let's talk about that court system which may seem a little scary going on let's talk about what housing options are let's talk about coping mechanisms to continue to empower and to continue to say you can do this and we are here to support you in whichever way that you're wanting to go lindsay you talked
2: about getting out and how you stayed for a while mm-hmm. how
4: did you find the courage to get out and what did you do So. In my specific incidents, it's a little bit different and something that, like when I share this, I'm often hesitant because it's, it could be dangerous for a lot of people to do exactly what I did. And everybody's situation is different and they know their abuser better than anyone. So if somebody's watching this right now and hoping to glean some sort of example from me, I want to say that, you know, you know your abuser the best. And if what I did is not going to work for you, please don't do that. Um, so my situation was the day that he threw me down the stairs. At the bottom of those stairs, I realized in that moment that I was unsafe in the house as well as trying to leave. And so if I was going to come out of this relationship at all because I was genuinely fearful for my life, um, I needed to do something. Um, I hit my mouth on the way down and my mouth was full of blood. And he came down um, the steps at me I spit the blood in his face and I think because I did that it sort of like backed him off and he was in shock and I I said to him if you're gonna do this do it now um, and I don't think that he was ready to actually take that next step so he said you have 30 minutes to get out of the house um, and so I grabbed a trash bag and grabbed everything that I could and I left Um, he was actually waiting outside in his vehicle watching me leave and then texting me and asking if it was, if we could work it out um, because that was what, you know, this is the cycle. So um, it was a really interesting and difficult choice to make because as we've talked about those barriers, when I left his home, I went back to my own where I hadn't been paying the mortgage. So my house was going through foreclosure proceedings. I didn't have the water or electric on. I had to ask for help to get those things back on. And my car was repossessed three days later. And so when you're trying to rebuild and you don't have transportation and you're losing your home and you don't have a job, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it almost feels harder sometimes than it does to stay in that situation. And I think a lot of times that's why people end up prolonging abusive relationships that they they know are dangerous for them, but they also don't know how to receive those resources on the other end Mm -hmm. Susan
2: give us some options and and then also are there shelters available are there places women can go
1: to be safe there are shelters and kind of backing up one of the the most frequent questions I I get is why doesn't she leave or why don't they leave and what what I believe is important for us to do is reframe the question to why does the abuser continue to abuse or why doesn't the abuser stop being abusive uh... really to put the spotlight on the abuser instead of making it our responsibility and making us feel like we're accountable Mm -hmm. and that we're uh... not wise for choices that we make uh... it's really the abuser and so that ties back to, to prevention uh... and you know we do a lot of prevention work because we want to bring folks in as advocates and allies uh, to break the cycle of abusive behavior and stop that abusive behavior before it develops uh, into adulthood. Um, so getting back, yes, there are shelters, and, and we all partner with the shelters. Uh, not enough uh, space, sadly. I think the statistic was for 20, 2018 that uh, 37,000 bed nights were, were not available were turned away is, yes. is that the, the unmet need, yes. unmet need. that's mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the need again as far uh, exceeding the, the resources that are available mm-hmm. so we need to prevent this from happening in the first place mm-hmm. uh, good point you're absolutely right Carla tell me what happens in cases where there are
0: children involved and they have to go through the court system so that gets a bit tricky and I think that's where the uh, goals of the Court Watch Project uh, we're looking at how can we ease some of that act? How can we make it more accessible for people to get through that system? Like Lindsay was saying, you know People who enter or get out of a relationship They're entering into all these different decisions in crisis and in drama mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and making decisions about custody and about um, you know, Supervision of children and visitation all of that Doing that right when you're in those crisis modes can be very difficult. And one of the things that uh, I know the domestic violence community um, that we're working towards is how can we best work with those courts in a coordinated community response so that we can start helping victims navigate that system. Because most have to navigate that system without an attorney. Mm -hmm. And that can be very difficult
2: susan i want to go back to preventative measures because you're absolutely right that's very important mm-hmm. what else can we do i mean i understand about the programs are in the mm-hmm. high schools which i think is perfect and right. awesome right. what else can we do
1: well i think that we can all be i mean everyone watching uh, the whole community the region um, folks can be allies and advocates mm-hmm. uh... both and and being an advocate means that if you see something that you you safely intervene uh... so if uh, well. well as an example if you're in a restaurant and you know you see something that is clearly uh, disrespectful I mean there are ways to intervene in that you know perhaps you know talking with one of the people if they stand up if it's the abuser and just kind of like talking with them on the on the way to the 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 checkout you know say hey dude that's not cool something like that or um, just taking action and of course being safe in in the process but just not allowing that to happen unchecked. Yeah, and of
2: course participating in the walk a mile in her shoes campaign, Samantha,
3: is also a way to help. It is, it's, it's showing support. It's showing that we're in this together, that we are a community because this is non-discriminatory. Mm-hmm. This does affect every one of us. It is not an issue that's behind closed doors. This is in your workplace. This is in your religious communities. This is in your schools. So this is affecting each and every one of us. And Susan's point is that's why we all have a stake in this and to all really become those advocates and that voice and standing up and challenging to put this where it needs to be, to put the ownership on the abusers, but to counter this. We don't teach healthy relationships from day one in our schools, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. So it's so great that we're going into those schools and saying, this is something you may not have learned and this is how we can start this we can start this conversation good point gotta take a break stay with us we are back after this
2: welcome back to the pulse we are almost out of time but Lindsay I just want to ask how are you doing
4: I'm I'm great I'm better than I've ever been life is wonderful life is wonderful are you on tour with your book Um, I'm doing a couple of things, but a book tour is not one of them right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but folks know the book is available. Yes. Amazon.com. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. All right, thank Mm -hmm. you so much. And then, Samantha, wrap it up for me and tell me again, where can people go if they are interested in participating in the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes campaign?
3: They can go to our website, www.ywcastl.org, and register right there on the website. You can also walk in and register the day of the event as well. Which is? September nineteenth. Thank you.
2: (laughs) It's on the screen at the Missouri (laughs) Athletic Club. All right. Thank you all so much for being here. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story. We appreciate it. And thank you for joining us this this week for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I'll see you next time.